Hey guys, if you got a Bible, uh, go to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, go to Galatians chapter 5, that's where we'll be this morning. New or visiting, just glad that you're here, glad you get to uh, join us for worship. Uh, as we worship Jesus, do that a number of ways. Some of the ways you're seeing right uh, here this morning, worship him by singing songs and talk about uh, just what he's done in his person and work and freeing us from Satan, sin, and death and reconciling us uh, to the Father. We also worship Jesus by uh, enjoying sitting under the preaching of God's word where we get to uh, more fully hear, understand, and learn what it is that God might want to say. Uh, we also worship Jesus by observing the communion or the Lord's Supper based upon how you kind of grew up, how you understand it. Uh, I want you to know how we understand it. We understand it as a gift that Jesus gave us as his people to enjoy the nourishing benefits benefits, remembering that his body and blood that was broken and shed for us on the cross offers us full forgiveness of sin. And so we uh, remember the centrality of Jesus each week by doing that. Uh, we also worship by um, giving in the silver boxes on the back wall because God's been generous in giving us Christ. And so we uh, want to extend that generosity back to him because all we have is really his. We're just stewards. I always say if you're not a regular attender member, please uh, do not give, not looking for your income. Just want you to know, love, serve, follow, adore, passionately worship this Jesus. Um, if I could ask a weird question, Jonathan, when you have a chance, can you turn on the feedback monitor for me? Because uh, I'm going to want to uh, probably read that, and I'm going to get texts out of context, right? If it doesn't work, that's okay. You just got to actually take the controller up here and turn it on. Thanks, man. All right, so uh, Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to pray because there's a lot I want to talk about. Um, oh, before I dive into that, just two quick things. Samaritan's Purse, don't forget, boxes are due uh, in the back wall uh, along the info center. Those are due next Sunday. I encourage you as families, it's a great way to just get involved in family discipleship. We love uh, having Jackson write a letter, including the gospel, to those kids that will receive it. Uh, so don't forget that. Also, how to study the Bible. Uh, that's going to come up January, February. Registration's open. Very excited for that class in particular because uh, we just lay before you all the time the necessity of God's Word and how we are able to feed ourselves with it, how we're able to, to walk with God, know what it says. And so we're going to be doing that in January and February. Please register online for that. Registration is already open. If you have any questions, see the Info Center uh, for that. All right, we're going to pray. A lot I want to chat about. A weighty text, an explosive text uh, we've got this morning. So let's ask God for help. Father, thank you that you've given us the Bible uh, to understand written revelation. Thank you that we don't have to wander and speculate and wonder as to what you've said and how you've uh, wired things to be, that you've laid it before us with clarity and authority and power. Father, thank you that, that we are going to be more fully formed into the image of Christ by being together this morning. We pray for those that do not have a saving understanding of your Son, uh, that you might call them to yourself, that you might open their eyes and ears to, to hear and see and understand what only can be spiritually discerned. We pray that for those of us that know you and follow you, uh, that you would continue this ongoing pruning uh, work in us by your grace. Help us as we look at Galatians 5. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians 5. Um, I don't know uh, if you've read this portion of Scripture before, but this particular text is where uh, Paul's going to talk about walking by the Spirit or walking by the flesh. Now, uh, this text of Scripture has caused a lot of disagreements throughout church history, a lot of confusion, a lot of questioning. What does this really mean? What is Paul really after? Uh, my hope is that we would really see clearly that Paul Paul has not shifted gears at all. He has not changed his thought. Because here's what Paul's been doing. Paul's been going for the last, I don't know, nine weeks in making sure you get justification right. Okay, so if you've been coming at all, uh, you have been just 
I don't know, totally under a rock, if you've missed, that he's just trying to get you to understand it is not by any bit of what you do or merit to earn God's favor. It's by the work of Jesus Christ alone that you're saved from sin, saved from eternal death, and reconciled to God the Father. So he has been saying this over and over and over. You don't do anything. You don't participate. God alone calls. God alone saves. God alone initiates. God alone sanctifies. It's the atoning, righteous-giving, sin-taking, death-absorbing, cross of Jesus Christ, resurrecting, gifting you, right, his life and place for yours. It's this great exchange, right, that our church fathers talked about. So he wants to make sure you get justification right. It's not about your works. It's by the work of Jesus. It's your heritage does not save you. Your systematic theology does not save you. Your denominational background does not save you. You speaking in tongues does not save you. You taking Lord's Supper does not save you. You, you just doing works of righteousness does not save you. Jesus does. Um, now he's going to say, hey, put feet to that grace. <laughs> Walk in that grace. So if you remember last week, uh, Pastor McKinney said that he ended his sermon telling you this is not a do sermon, this is a done sermon. Okay, that's what he said. Uh, now what's awesome is my sermon is how to do when it's already done. Okay, so now we're going to just swap places. Now we're not leaving grace. We're not leaving the gospel of grace. We want to see, because Paul has not left his plan. He has not left his point. He's going to show us how do we walk in this grace? How do we continually be formed and shaped by the gospel of grace? I'm going to throw up a quote for you to just stare at for a second uh, before we get into the text. Uh, Dallas Willard said this, Grace is not void of effort. Grace is absolutely void of earning. All right, yeah, ah, good, love it, like it. Good feedback. You're actually reading and seeing what's on the screen. This is important. This is a good distinction for you. Uh, grace is, is not a bit of you earning anything, um, but it is not void of effort. It is not void of us participating, not in salvation, but in the calling God's laid on our life. So the gospel declares that we have the just judge. We've been saying this. Just judge declares us righteous, holy, spotless, blameless. And then we also have the Father God that now loves us, causes our spirit to cry, Abba, Father. Right? Those two rhythms, just judge says I'm holy, spotless, and blameless, brings relief to me. I now have the Father that says, hey, I love you as a son and daughter. You're secure. The security in that grace does not make you just sit. Like your security in that grace does not cause you to do nothing. It compels you. It's the fuel by which, he said last week, faith working itself out in love. And so here we're going to see how in the world does this happen. There's movement and maturity in the Christian life. There is not staticness. There is movement. So the text this morning is huge. I think it's probably the toughest section in all the Galatians. Uh, and I would argue maybe the heartbeat of everything he's ever going to say. So uh, time for us to wake up, smell the coffee, Galatians 5. Here's what he says in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Uh, anyone else ever read that text and go, impossible? <laughs> right? Like, it's, it's actually possible for me not to gratify the desires of my flesh. <laughs> for the honest person, right? You, you, this is one of those texts you read and you're like, that's actually a true promise? You Right? You come across this text, you're going, those of us who, who are actually uh, converted by the gospel of God in Christ, those of us who actually have a new heart and mind in, in Christ, we actually, we read the text and we're actually uh, excited about that. <laughs> like, wait, there, there, is a, there is a way to which we can walk in this gospel of grace to where we will actually not gratify what the flesh desires to do. That's what Paul's saying. 
And Paul says, walk by the Spirit. And I love that because the verb is not passive. It's not this one-time act. It's not something that's done to you. Hey, walk in the Spirit. Boom, it's done. Right? That's not what Paul's saying. He's, this, this language is this keep on walking, keep on pursuing, keep on moving, keep on walking with the Spirit. That's the language here that Paul is, is saying. And here's why it's so important to understand this isn't something that's done to you. Um, I hear so many people say, well, well, I prayed. Right? I prayed for God to deliver me from this addiction. I prayed for God to uh, heal this thing. I prayed for God to help me understand this thing, and he didn't do it, so it just doesn't work. Right? I mean, I, I don't know. There's no, there's no power there in the Holy Spirit. There's no authority there in the Holy Spirit. This is the idea that, that Paul is actually going against. And, and guys, this is not something where the Holy Spirit comes into you, and then you just sit in your recliner and go, okay, God, change me. Okay, God, just, just fix me. Right? He says, no, you, you keep walking. You keep asking the Holy Spirit of God, God, what do you want me to look at? What do you want me to see? How do you want me to, to react in this situation? It's a moment by moment. Keep walking. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit of God. That's what he's, he's saying here. Where are my eyes off the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Where are my eyes off of the gospel of grace? Where have I left that? Because that's what he just said for five chapters. So keeping in step with the Spirit is you fundamentally keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. So to sit there and go, man, the Holy Spirit hasn't changed me, is like you buying a treadmill, wanting to lose weight, and never using it. And you just kind of look at it four months later. Man, this thing doesn't work. I'm going to take it back. It's useless. Right? It's, you say, well, that's dumb. I mean, you have access to the Holy Spirit. You keep walking and keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you actually asked the Holy Spirit what you wanted, he, he wanted to do? Right? Or are you just still driven by your flesh? I just do what I want to do. I just make decisions I want to make. Are you really led by the Spirit? That's what he's saying here. See, um, I love this text because it's a promise. If you walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of your flesh. <laughs> Those two things are mutually exclusive. You know what that means? You can't be walking by the Spirit and sinning at the same time. So this is what that looks like. Uh, someone running on the treadmill eating Pringles. Never seen it, right? Ever seen that guy going for a half mile, mile, you know, half marathon run just eating chips? As he's prancing down the side of the street, right? Never seen it, right? I mean, those two things are working against each other, right? In the same way, spiritually, if you're pursuing the Holy Spirit of God, if you are keeping in step, seeing Christ, drawing near to Jesus Christ, it's impossible for you to sin. It's impossible for the Spirit to lead you in that type of direction. See, if you're pursuing Him, you're not sinning. Spirit, what do you want me to do? Log on to that website. Never going to do it. Spirit's never going to lead you there. Spirit, what do you want me to do? I'll just flirt more with that coworker. Right. Spirit's never going to lead you that way. Spirit, what, 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 do you, what do you want me to do? I'll just read less Bible. Just read less Bible. Never going to hear it. Like, like you're not. Just stay in your addiction. Like the Holy Spirit's never going to lead you in that direction. It's just common sense. Like you, can't, you, can't, you can't be sinning while being led with the Holy Spirit. That's Paul showing these things are mutually exclusive. Some of you guys have been stuck in your sin so long going, the Holy Spirit's not powerful enough to deliver me because you're simply trying to avoid sin in your life. There's nothing more exhausting, nothing more futile, nothing more painstaking. 
than you just being a sin manager. Man, to be a Christian is not someone who just avoids sin. To be a Christian means you adamantly pursue and push headlong into a person who took your sin and gave you his righteousness. That's what it means to be a Christian. So as you push into the gospel of grace, you receive that grace and you walk by the Spirit. You know, a lot of marriages suffer because you're not pursuing him. You're just so busy staring at how each other stinks. Like, you're not going to find vitality in your marriage by just dwelling on how your spouse isn't adding up to your expectations. You pursue Christ. What does Christ ask me to do as a covenant keeper in this marriage? All of a sudden, vitality starts to work. He's going to keep showing us how this uh, fleshes itself out. Verse 17. He says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. I love it. There's, there's this conflict. To use the language of Paul, there's this war happening between the, the flesh and the spirit. Now, here's what happens at conversion. You repent of your sin. You turn from sin. You trust in Christ. You hear everything Paul said the last nine weeks in these sermons, that he is your righteousness. He is your wrath absorber. He is your penalty. He, is your, he takes every bit of what you owe the just judge, and he buries it, kills it, rises, gifts you his spirit, gifts you a resurrected new life, new heart, new new mind, the spirit to lead you, guide you, protect you, comfort you, teach you, all the rest. But here's the problem. Uh, we still live in the flesh, Paul calls it. So there's this tr- ongoing transformation of him making us more like the image of his son, Jesus Christ. But this in-between conversion and glorification is the flesh period. The residual effects of the fall still reign in our mortal bodies. And so sanctification is this time of life where he is in the business, the Holy Spirit's in the business of pruning you and refining you and making you more like the image of the Son. And he says the goal of the Spirit is not the goal of the flesh, and the goal of the flesh is not the goal of the Spirit. Now, here's the issue. Um, Both promise the same thing, but only one can deliver for you. What did Pastor Mike preach about last week? Freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. The flesh promises you freedom, and the spirit promises you freedom. The question is, which one are you going to listen to? Which one are you going to follow? Which one are you going to trust? Which one are you going to submit to? And I love that phrase. He says, if you are led by the spirit, last phrase of the last verse. That's a different verb now. It's the idea of leadership. I want you to think about something for a second, and... Don't, don't spiritualize this. I know we're in church. Please don't do that. Like just, just forget that you're in church. The pastor's preaching. You're around other people that you think are perfect. They're all a mess if you just ask them a few questions. All right, so, so let's just, for a moment, I want to ask you a question. Do you want to be led by the Holy Spirit? Don't over-spiritualize it. Don't, don't, oh, no, I'm in church. Okay, yeah. Like I, no, do you want to be, and be careful how quickly you answer that question. Like, because this is talking about leadership. This is talking about you following Jesus. I know, amazing. To be a follower of Jesus actually follows Jesus. I know, it's insane that that actually makes sense. But, but, but to be a Christian, say, I, I love him, I adore him, I worship him, I've been saved, means you actually are led by him. He's your headship. You surrender to what he says. You trust what he says. But if we're honest, couldn't, couldn't most of us say that we're a little terrified to actually be led by the Spirit? Because 
what if he actually tells you to die to yourself and pick up your cross and follow you? Oh, wait, he said that. He's already said that, right? I mean, it's in the scriptures, right? He's a resident truth teacher. Wait, he's a, what, what if he actually tells you to be more generous than you are? What if he actually tells you to walk away from that addiction or compulsion or proclivity? What if he actually tells you that that situation you're involved in will lead to death? You really want to be led by the Holy Spirit? you got to answer that question first. <laughs> Unless you think he's your genie and you can just be led by the Spirit wherever you want to lead him. See, you don't have the leash, <laughs> brother, sister. You, you're not dragging the Holy Spirit along going, hey, let's go this way. Hey, let's go this way. No, Holy Spirit is lovingly, aggressively, comfortingly, passionately saying, well, let's go this way. See, Paul's been, that's why Paul's been telling you he's your father now. He's your dad. You can trust him. You can trust where he leads you. You can trust his commands. You can trust all the things that he says because he's for your joy and his glory. He's after your fulfillment and fullness of life. Did you know that? He's not after taking from you. He's after giving generously to you. So do you want to be led by the Holy Spirit? See, see, the prayer for most of us shouldn't be, hey, uh, Holy Spirit, lead me. It should be, uh, Holy Spirit, help me to trust you. Help me to surrender to you. Help me to actually want to follow you. Some of us are excellent church people and terrible Christians. <laughs> Amen. Over here. Some of you are so great at being church people. Terrible, terrible followers of Jesus. I don't mean that in judgment. I mean that in, in this breaking my heart. Like, you think church is just us being here, sitting in seats? Or this ongoing, not this ethereal God's this idea, but a person we live with? A person we follow? A person we submit to? If you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it means that Jesus Christ is leading. It's not a matter of leading for many of us. It's we just don't want to follow him. We just don't want him calling the shots. We just don't trust him. Man, maybe some of us are like, well, I'm not like a terrible follower of Jesus. I'm not just an excellent church person. I kind of position myself in the middle. Okay, Jesus, I see you're 10. Give me the top five. Like, give me the top five things you want me to follow. Verse 19 is going to show you the danger of you just following your flesh, doing whatever you think is right. Verse 19 now, the works of the flesh are evident. He's saying it's obvious. The person who just lives according to how they want to live, it's just obvious how it's going to manifest itself. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't write that verse. God wrote that verse. So he goes, the person who lives by just however they want to live, just by their own wants, their own desires, their own compulsions, their own proclivities, he goes, it's just obvious. This is not an exhaustive list. It doesn't mean you're going to do all those. It just means this is the general direction by which that person will be led down. Here's where they'll end up. And he kind of gives, it looks like four categories that kind of bend themselves out when you're, you're led by the flesh. First one, sexually. 
will have a broken understanding of, of sexual sexuality. He says uh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. So he's getting at this idea that, that, that if you simply live how you want to live, this is how it'll manifest itself. Now, now, can you just, this is why we need the biblical foundation for sex so we don't follow the insanity of culture. Like, just read Genesis 1 and 2. Sex was not your idea. It was not my idea. It was God's idea. Marriage, covenantal marriage between one woman and one man in an ongoing relationship that says, I see even the crazy part of you, and I'm in. That was God's idea, not your idea, not my idea. He's the one who put the plumbing in. Like, it is his idea, Genesis 1 and 2, man and woman, male and female, right? That was God's idea, God's design, God's good hopes for humanity. See, culture does not love love. It loves the idea of love. It wants all the emotions without the sacrifice. It doesn't want true intimacy, true friendship, true togetherness. It wants, let me just do what pleases me. Let me just do what appeals to me. Let me just do what, God, you can't create me like this with these desires and then tell me this. We're going to get into that in just a minute with idolatry. He shows that, that, that sex is not a bad thing. It's actually something to worship God with, not worship yourself with. And so he says it's going to bend itself out in a broken understanding of sexuality. Now here's what's happened. Um, Post-Genesis 3, man... We're all born with this disposition to choose outside of God's beautiful design. We're all born to choose what we just think feels best or, or assume what should look best and not what God has already said. So you know what it does? We chase this mythical creature our whole life. And here's the problem, man. We're such a sex-saturated culture, if we could be honest, is we elevate it to a place that it should never be elevated to where it is God and it will never fulfill or give you what you believe it promises. And we tie it to personhood. We tie it to identity. We tie it to fullness of life. Sex equals all those things. Sexual orientation, sexual identity. It all equals the highest form of worship. Man, that is, that is a terrible God to worship. We need something bigger, more meaningful, something outside of ourselves to rightly wire us back to how God is saying fullness of life is found here, not being led by your flesh, but being led by the Spirit. That's what we desperately need, and that's what he's getting at here. And listen, it's rarely ever been viewed in history as being tied to personhood, identity, fullness of life. And every place it has, culture has totally collapsed around the weight of it. And so Paul's just lovingly reminding us sex is given within this framework of, of, of marital relationships. Why you get sexual immorality is the root word just for pornea, out of pornography. And it, it, it talks about every single type of illicit sexual sin that's broken all the way to like bestiality. Like just how you just, you just so just do what you want that there's no end. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, everything. Just it's all thrown in there. And here he's just showing us that, man, trust the spirit of God. Trust what God is leading, how God is telling us to be. The second category is spiritual. So don't only manifest itself in a broken understanding of sexuality, a broken understanding of spirituality. He says idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry is not when you cease to worship. Idolatry is when you worship something other than Jesus Christ, more than Jesus Christ. It's when you make something else more supreme, more superior, 
more heightened. You take all your, all your focus, all your time, all your passion, all your might, all your energy, and you elevate that thing in your life, and you worship it believing it'll satisfy you like Christ can satisfy you. That can be a hobby. That can be a sport. That can be your children. That could be family. That could be your job. That could be anything. He says that's a broken view. You to worship that thing believing that can give you what only Christ can give you? You're going to be exhausted, bitter, frustrated, and empty. That's a broken view of spirituality. Which is why the opposite of Christianity is not atheism. It's idolatry. It's you choosing to worship something else. So that's why I believe Pastor McKinney mentioned last week, you've been saved from something to to something. That's why it's so important to see that in the gospel. You've been saved away from false gods to worshiping the true God. Away from everything false, broken views of you'll see sociology, you'll see addictions and compulsions, you'll see sexuality, you'll see spirituality. He saves you from all those false gods, false understandings, false ways to view them, and he saves you to the true God, where fulfillment, joy, companionship, love is found. And when we live as if we're own God, you've put a yoke on you that will utterly crush you and not liberate you. That's what the scriptures are getting at. Because really, otherwise, you've got to answer the questions for yourself. Um, how do you find the greatest fulfillment in life? How are you doing with that? Uh, you know how the universe works. That's great. How are you doing at helping everybody understand that? Uh, not good, I'm going to assume. Right? God knows. God leads. And then he says, sorcery. I love it. This is the one where everyone's like, oh, good. I'll do that one. I'm off, right? Didn't cast a spell. Uh, that's not really what he's talking about. Uh, sorcery here, and, and even the wording, is uh, this idea. Um, it comes from the word pharmacia, which is where we get the word pharmaceutical. It's the idea that you try to alter your mind in such a way that you get out of physical realities to have a release of the soul to bring about some peace for a moment. I think we could think of many ways that we do that. It could be deliberate mind-altering drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be a lot of things. This kind of co- coincides with drunkenness and orgies and compulsions and addictions. But sorcery is also a way that it will go. Third category is socially. You see this bend out socially. Uh, walking according to our flesh, just how we feel affects not only life with God, but life with everybody else, right? Uh, it just pollutes everybody. If you just walk how you want to walk, put this in any family, the family at your house or the family of God, right? Doesn't it just fracture everything? I mean, look at the words he uses. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Hey, put that in the church, man. What a healthy church, right? Put that in your family at home. What a great family. All the kids, man, just jealous, filled with strife, fits of anger, dissensions, he goes, it just leads to this. It's a broken understanding of, of, of all of this, of socially what happens. And the flesh comes out sexually, comes out socially, comes out spiritually. I mean, in this, in, with social, imagine, Holy Spirit, um, where do you want to lead me? Oh, just, just fits of rage, right? Just, just say whatever you want. Just fly off the handle. That'll bring about fruit. <laughs> That'll help out your business with your employee-boss relationship. Spirit's not going to lead you that way. I'll just gossip. Spirit ain't going to lead you that way. Just talk about this brother or sister. Spirit ain't going to lead you that way. Man, just try to divide the church. (laughs) Spirit ain't going to lead you that way. And lastly, addictions or compulsions. He says drunkenness and orgies. You know, those are together because they both come from the same root word to give yourself over to something. 
It's, it's I'm going to give myself over to something so my soul can find release, so I can have hope for a season. It'll bring fullness of life, even if it's just for a moment, more than the everlasting, soul-sustaining work of Jesus Christ. I'm going to find something to give myself over to, right? This is, this is where you have a desire that ends up enslaving you. So it's not that you eat food, it's that you would become a glutton. It's not that you would have a good drink, it's that you become a drunkard. It's not that you would have good conversations with people, it's that you become a gossip. It's not that you would spend money and enjoy your money, it's that you become an overly compulsive spender, self-absorbed. That's what he's talking about here. This is, this is where the flesh leads. I just do what I want, right? It's this cycle whereby we have addictions. We can't have enough of those things. We need more of it, whether it's gossiping, whether it's gluttony, whether it's drunkenness, whether it's sex, whether it's fame, whether it's power, whether it's prestige. He goes, man, all those are a byproduct of a perverted view sexually, socially, and spiritually that all roll themselves into these compulsions and desires that we just have to have outside of Christ. And then Paul says, the sobering text, I warn you, those who simply follow whatever they desire to do will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to chat about this just for a moment because it's there. The word there, do such things, is the word practice. Those who make a practice of these things. The habit of your life is, the, is, is just categorized by that list. Not everything in it, but certain ones. It's just a, it's just, it just basically labels you, and it's obvious. And it's not the, the things that everybody sees. It could be in secret. But this is just who you are. He says, those whose pattern of life are these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you know what that means? That means that you're not a Christian. That means you're not going to heaven. If the pattern of your life is these things, it's what he says here. See, we all, we all know, we all know that if we call ourselves a Christian, there's a life that follows, right? Like, we know that. I know I'm not saying something new up here. Like, we all know the Bible's very clear. Like, if you, you call yourself whatever you want. <laughs> but if your life does not look like or begin to look repentant and following after Jesus Christ, then he's like, you're not a Christian. This is the habitual pattern of your life. And, man, this stuff saddens me. It, it, it grieves me, especially in church culture. Because, man, it's one thing just to be an outright atheist. Okay, cool. That's easier for me. Man, I don't believe in God. I hate God. Even though it's so weird, you hate something that you don't believe exists. It's like you hating unicorns. I don't really know. But anyways, like you just, you, you do that. That's easier for me. That's much easier for me than you being like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I, I love Jesus. And then you just live totally different. Like, it just, it just breaks my heart. I mean, it's so weird how we've, like, created these understandings in our heads where, like, we can kind of come up with these new categories. And, and, and what does it mean to follow Jesus? I mean, I mean, we've created this idea that because I cried at some point in my life, I'm a follower of Jesus. Instead of looking at my life honestly going, okay, well, wow, my life actually looks like Jesus. It's not perfect. It's repentant. I desire to turn from sin and turn to Christ. And what's weird is we'll even, we'll even in the church make up categories like, well, I don't know. There's kind of like, like the real followers of Jesus, the real Christians, the apostles and the disciples that we see. Okay, those are like the Christians, man. Those are the, the real faithful followers. Those are the, the, the just hardcore, right? And then we've got like the anti-God, crazy pagans. Like, yeah, they're in there. And then we like create this like middle group and let's call them Christians, 
where they just say they love him, but they look nothing like him. They attend church. This is just like the Galatian church. Man, Paul's saying, don't become like the Galatian church. With your lips, you say you're one thing, but your heart is so far from me. You believe not that Christ gives you righteousness. You are still arrogant and self-consumed in what you do. In your rituals, in your traditions, in your circumcision, and everything else. It's a hard word from Paul. And I don't say this judging. I say this because it breaks my heart. Because Paul in the scriptures will say, do you love this grace? Have you received this grace? It'll show. It'll show. I love when people are like, I'm a Christian. I'm like, okay, we'll see. (laughs) Some people hate it. I'm like, we'll see. (laughs) Praise God. I hope you are. I mean, I... I don't have the mind of Christ in the sense where I don't, I'm not all knowing. I'm not omniscient. I, don't, I can't see your heart, but man, we'll see. Man, man, grace will show. Like this isn't some like complex, hmm, I don't really, I don't really know. No, I mean, it's just that the pattern of your life will lead to what he's going to get to next. He contrasts it, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And in, in, in the way that you're not motivated by fear, you're motivated by the love of God in Christ, being your Abba Father and being your just judge. Like it's love that compels you to even become these things. And your spirit, the Holy Spirit inside is actually eager to want these things. It's not a, oh man, I have to be this. It's I get to be this. Like he gets to conform me more to the, the perfect image of Jesus Christ here. I love self-control. You're controlled by the Holy Spirit. You're not controlled by yourself and by what your flesh wants. See, when you start walking by the Spirit, that old you would have reacted with hatred. Now you're spotted with love. Uh, that old you would have had mood swings all over. Now, you, now you're rooted in this identity in Christ you can't fathom. Um, used to be kind of modeled by this just sexually perverse, just hungry for all types of sexual appetite. And now you realize just the freedom from enslavement you have to that. Now you love the pursuit of holiness and, and loving God and Jesus first. And if he gives you that, he gives you that. But you're, you're full with him. That's what he's showing us here. Um, used to be just, what used to mark you is just stress. Now you got God, your Father, He's sovereign, He's good, He protects me, He loves me. Used to be filled with hatred, thinking I had to vindicate myself, and I realized in conversion that, man, Christ vindicates me and frees me, and He'll speak for me, and He'll judge all unjust. Uh, I'm so secure in that. You start to become that. All of a sudden, there's a gentleness about you because you realize, wow, grace has been so gentle to me. I deserved wrath. I deserved judgment. I, wow, man, the gentleness and the gospel of grace, that doesn't make you a gentle person. Nothing will. So all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're from this rivalrous, just all so competitive with everybody to, man, I'm just gentle. I'm just, I'm for love believes the best. Love hopes. Love endures. Now, as you read that list, don't you want to be that? I don't know, I mean, just compare the lists. <laughs> I mean, which one are you after? <laughs> I mean, which one do you want? I mean, it's just, it's just amazing just looking at this. I always want to draw your attention to the offer on the table, in the gospel, in Christ, in what the, the scriptures are saying, man. You can be, yeah, uh, just someone that's filled with strife and jealousy and hatred and, and just fear-mongering and sexually perverse and impure and sensual and just going after these loves and lusts and likes. And you can be that or you can be these things. That's the offer in Jesus Christ that he can transform you. 
Now, we'd be fools to look at these lists and go, man, yeah, I, I, I love this list, the fruit of the Spirit, but I don't know. I think I'd like to grow in my fits of rage. I think I'd like to mature in that area. Yeah, strife. Yeah, no one is someone who's just jealous. I'd love to grow in that. <laughs> I haven't really met that person. See, that's why it's awesome, man, that the scriptures are showing us that, that it's this beautiful, beautiful picture of what we can get. So here's the question. Here's going to end our time because this is the most important question out of everything we've heard in Galatians. You read that and go, well, yeah, well, I don't want the works of the flesh and I want the fruit of the spirit. How do I do that without trying to earn what's already freely been given? Right? I mean, how do I do? How do I work? How do I, without falling back into works-based religion? Good question, because Paul answers it. Because herein lies the problem, and I want you to hear this. Oh, this is so big. I've been praying this week. Herein lies the problem. You hit this place, whether it's right now in this moment, or like just at some point in your Christian life, where you see the works of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit, or you stumbled across Galatians 5 going, how in the world does that manifest itself based upon everything I've read in Galatians? Paul just said, don't, 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 don't. Okay, do, walk, yeah, walk, right? So, so how, does that, how does that work? Here lies the problem. When you hit that point, the way you try to get to the fruit of the Spirit is still through the works of the flesh. That's not the way to go about it. Here's what I mean. Works of the flesh are the things that he just listed. Let's use drunkenness as one. Works of the flesh is not just you getting drunk. Works of the flesh is you, by your own ability, never drinking again without leaning on Christ. I really hope you heard me. I'm telling you, your theology in this determines everything else. It is so huge how you understand what it means to walk by the Spirit and, not put to, and put to death the deeds of the flesh. How you understand what that means determines your theology. Whether you will live as a religious person or a grace-driven person. Okay? It's massive. So here's the problem with that. Um, okay, so what if you just quit an addiction? Through your own might, or you become pure, or you do whatever, because this is, it's so stupid. I mean, people think that Christians are just supposed to, like, just manage sin, and just, like, I don't know, try not to do that, try not to do that, try to avoid that. But, man, that's still a work of the flesh if Christ is non-existent. It's not forsaking its pursuit. So here's the problem with that. Okay, cool. You no longer drink, but now you're arrogant because you did it. You know, that puts you alongside Satan, got him kicked out of heaven. So now you look more like Satan, even though you're not a drunkard. That's not progress. So you're just idol swapping, right? You're just idol swapping. Oh, cool, man. I, I'm not a drunkard anymore. Now I'm just arrogant. Now I'm just proud. Now I'm just God. Now I just kind of call decrees and I can will my own way. And man, listen, that's still broken. That's still a work of the flesh. So, so look at what he says. How do you crucify the flesh? Verse 24, circle it, underline it. I don't know. Hopefully you have a Bible. Grab one before you leave. Go to the class. All right. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Here's the problem. You're simply chasing the effects of sin. You're not trying to kill the flesh. You're trying to kill sin. You need to kill your flesh, which the sin comes out of. 
And how do you kill your flesh? Because until you crucify your flesh, does the sin that comes out of it die. It's huge. You want to know how you do that? He tells you in the text. That's why I love the Bible. Circle, you belong to Jesus Christ. You want to be able to kill your sin and move from works of the flesh to fruits of the Spirit? You remember that you belong to Jesus. What does that remind you of? Oh, the gospel again. Life, death, resurrection. Man, he, he saved you. He gave you righteousness. He, he, he imputed his own life to you. You're, you're loved by God, so now you're free to love him. And he's a father now, so you're not, you're not restricted in this. It's not fear-mongering. It's not fear-based. It's not law-based. He goes, this is no law anymore. Fruits of the Spirit are birthed from love from God in the gospel that compels you to be new. Here's the goal. Not to avoid sin, but get close to Christ. This is the classic premarital conversation my wife and I have with couples. Man, well, how much can we mess around? Or how close can we get to the line? Or what's really sin? Man, you're asking the wrong question. Man, how close can you get to Jesus? Listen, if you're pursuing Jesus, trying to get near him, man, I'm telling you, it's impossible to do both. You're not going to be asking yourself, hey, where's the line tonight? <laughs> you're going to be so just satisfied in his holiness and splendor and glory and goodness that, man, what? you're not even thinking about it. The goal is to get close and near to Jesus so that as you do, sin gets farther away. And as the Spirit of God, we'll see in a moment, reminds you of the accomplishing work of Christ, it crucifies your flesh because the flesh cannot reign where the Spirit of Christ dwells. And the sin begins to die. But listen, if you just start out just trying to kill sin, apart from Christ and his gospel and his work, man, oh, what a terrible Christian life. That's all you're known as? Someone who just kind of like manages? Oh, cool, I kind of have that one in order. Let me move on to this one. Instead of let me just get near to him through community, through worship, through song, through prayer, through the scriptures, through... <sighs> let me just say this. Whatever your struggle is, man, it's okay to build defenses out. Listen, I've heard that silliness. I've heard it with people. They've been here, not been here. There's this weird thing like, hey, uh, they label legalism, right? You can't put any provision or you're just no longer working according to the gospel. That's foolishness. Um, if you're someone who's, who's come out of an addiction to alcohol, uh, it's not legalistic to stay away from the bar. That's called wisdom. Okay? So that, that, that's, that's the dumbest thing I've heard. Be careful of people that say that stuff. What is dangerous, like if you've got a lust issue, like it's not foolishness for you not to put software on your computer or your phone. That's wisdom. What is foolishness is you doing that without ever pushing headlong into Christ. That's works of the flesh then. If you're just strictly putting defenses up while not heaping logs on the kindling you're trying to build for the fire of the Holy Spirit to light and inflame your heart for God's gospel in Christ, then that's foolish. But otherwise, man, put those defenses up. Romans 14 will give you a verse for it. Make no provisions for your flesh, but put on Christ so that you don't satisfy the desires of your flesh. You do both good. That's good, by the way. That's free. That's free of charge this morning. That's from the Holy Spirit. Verse 25. Now, before that, before that, uh, it works the other way, doesn't it? You want to grow in your fruits of the Spirit? You don't just try to look like Jesus. You're with him, right? I'm just trying to be kind. No, trust me, get alongside Jesus. You become who you're around, right? Man, if, if you're a man or woman who is just with Jesus, walking, eating, reading, breathing, praying with Jesus, man, you'll become like him. 
Fruits of the Spirit will be created in you. You're not trying to be loving or be kind apart from you and your energy, energy, energy and toil. Huge. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Here's the great news. Do you know how to love Jesus? No, you don't. Does the Holy Spirit? Perfectly. Do you know all the deep-seated places in you that need uncovering, need to be ripped out, that God needs to refine and grow in you? Do, you? do you know where those are? No. Does the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Holy Spirit does. Praise God you've got a God who in his Trinitarian fullness is perfect. That he knows, the Holy Spirit knows Jesus and the Father, and he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows how to lead, guide, comfort, teach, refine, mold, shape. That's why you walk according to him. That's why you follow him. And as he grows you closer to Jesus, you grow farther away from sin. It's a lifelong process. Because you can never love Jesus enough for all he's done. You can never adore him for all that he's done. You never thank him for all that he's wished upon you. That, that doesn't end at any time. Now, what I love about that is now that's such a bigger and better goal than morality. Because that's worship, and that's intimacy, and that's friendship, and that's togetherness with the God that made you. You're not just trying to appease this God. He's already appeased everything in Christ. So now you're free to just enjoy him and get close to him as your dad, which wells up in you the fruits of the Spirit. Because he's given you his Holy Spirit to be transformed more in the image and likeness of him. You're not relying on your morality. You're relying on the grace that saved you, that still sustains you, that will ultimately glorify you. So how do, we, how do we keep in step with the Spirit? I'll just give you one thing I do. One thing I do is to remind myself of what God has already said. Just remind myself of God's promises because the Spirit says he will teach me and remind me. So to speak and be led by the Spirit is for the Spirit to, to lead me by reminding me what God has already said to me and what's true about me. Here's an example. If I'm faced with the dilemma of, I don't know, um, impurity, I think of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, man, the pure in heart are going to see God. That's a promise. And I'll just go, man, I want to see God. Man, I want to see him. Man, I want to I see him as best I can. And he says, the pure in heart are going to see God. So I know, being led by the Spirit, in that moment, remembering that Christ is sufficient, he's good, he's my portion, he's my satisfaction, man, the pure in heart are going to see God. Oh, it's so much easier to walk away from that impurity because I'm reminding myself what God has already said. That's a promise. I want to see you more clearly. Sin taints God's glory. I don't want to see you in anything less, man, in your fullness. That's what we do. And he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Here's the other huge problem that paralyzes Christians. Separate category. All of you want to know what God's life plan is for you. And he's not going to tell you. I hate to break the bubble. Like, you'll see that nowhere in Scripture. All of us sit paralyzed going, Holy Spirit, I mean, what's your plan for me in 20 years? You know what you need to be asking him? Holy Spirit, what's your plan for me when I leave this worship service? Where do you want to lead me when I walk out of the church? Like, we're so stuck in the year 2040, 
right? I tell you, you'll hardly ever see in Scripture God come to anyone and say, hey, here's your life plan. Got it all set up. Comes to Abraham. What does he say? I'll pack up and leave. Where am I going? I'll tell you. Okay, I don't know, move here. Okay, move here. Okay, hey, uh, pillar, pillar of fire, cloud of smoke. Hey, you move when I move. Stop when I stop. Man, don't stop asking God for being paralyzed because what does God want from me in 20 years, man? Ask, start walking by the Spirit today, asking what does he want from you today? Who does he want you to repent? What does he want you to repent of? What does he want to ask you for forgiveness for? Who does he want you to talk to? Who does he want you to pick up the phone and call? Who, what does he want you to do today? What does he want you to say to your children? What does he want you to say to your spouse? How does he want you to walk in your singleness? How does he want you to operate as you prepare for your job and work week tomorrow? That's how it works. And then he just ends verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. He's just saying, hey, and don't forget grace, by the way, in this whole thing. Don't get so conceited in this walk. You think that even fruits of the Spirit start bubbling up? conceited, hey, look at me, you start growing swagger, that's the antithesis of grace and a fruit of the Spirit. Don't you start comparing your walk to other people? Don't you start judging? Don't you start, man, as the Spirit starts doing a beautiful work in you, man, pray that God would do a work in others. Don't look at others going, oh, yeah, man, look, I'm farther along than that, I'm farther along than that, because he knows that's a proclivity in us. As soon as you start growing in holiness, oh, there's an immediate temptation to grow in arrogance. And he wants to cut that at the limb. The grace that gave you the Spirit is the grace that keeps you with the Spirit. No boasting, just following, loving, pursuing Jesus. Let's pray. Father, help us. God, help us to ask ourselves, even this moment, what, does, what do you want us to repent of today? What do you desire of us today? I want you to pray right now what God desires of you this afternoon. I want you to ask him. I want you to say, Holy Spirit of God, help me to surrender to whatever it is that you have for me today. The temptation that I will face this afternoon, help me to walk by the Spirit. Man, listen, lots of different things will, will at this point in time tell you to do different things. I want you to grow close to him. That's the goal, Jesus Christ, life, death, resurrection. Not even just you reading your Bible more, not you praying more, not you just doing acts of social justice, not you doing all these things, not this do, 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 do. No, lean hard into him. Yes, that's cultivated through prayer, through the scriptures, through community. But just see him, talk to him, be led by him. Learn what it means as a child of God to talk to your own father one-on-one. -on -one. God, thank you the Holy Spirit exists, the Holy Spirit dwells us, the Holy Spirit in this moment instructs us. That we do not need someone else instructing us. We have you. Would you comfort us where we need comfort? Would you realign us where we need realignment? Would you show us where we are working out of works of the flesh still and not by the power of the Spirit? Would you, would you show us where the gospel is not at work and where the gospel is at work? Would you keep us in the present? Keep us faithful today. God, help us to grow in this. It's going to take a, a lifelong pursuit of walking in the Spirit. But we trust you to do that. You know your own Trinitarian self better than we do, and you know our hearts better than we could ever. So, Father, do that. Make us a people that are led by the Spirit who walk by the Spirit. 
And as we observe your supper, Lord, remind us of the treasuring benefits of remembering the body broken, blood shed, so that we do not have to be under the law. We do not have to pursue the spirit out of fear, but out of great joy because we get to, not because we have to. In Jesus' name.